Amen. Amen. Listen to this prophecy that calls us to worship from Isaiah, proclaiming who our Savior is. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen. Your sentinels lift up their voices. In plain sight, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. God is in our very midst. He is dwelling with us in the power of His Holy Spirit. There is nothing, nothing that misses the sight and the care and the compassion of God who brings that good news to every single circumstance we face, saying, good news, great joy to all the people. For born to you is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let us give him our praise as we stand and worship the living God. Traveling through that gospel, and we find ourselves in the 12th chapter, the midway through the, the chapter, the second half of the 36th verse. So join me as I read for us John chapter 12, verses 36 through 50. Listen to God's word. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of the light. After Jesus had said this, he departed and hid from them. Although he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so they could not believe because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they might not look with their eyes and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he, he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God. Then Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. On the last day, the word that I have spoken will serve as judge, for I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. The word of the Lord. May God richly take this word and speak it into our hearts as we turn our hearts toward home to listen to him. Let's pray. 
Father, let your good news come now and find us not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray, Lord Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. As we enter this last public time with Jesus, this is the last time he was out in public, he has been summarizing everything that he has been about for the last three years of his life. And he's telling people, this is why I came. He knows what's going to happen. This is Thursday of Holy Week. It's the night he's going to be betrayed. He's been showing Israel what its true hope is. He's been speaking into the hearts and minds of those who know the story. And he's calling them to see what true hope really is. Now he calls them to remember what God has said through Isaiah. And as he does, he confronts all of us, all of us, with the consequences of choosing to believe or to not believe. He makes it clear that God calls all, but God also respects our choices and leaves in place the consequences of each to bless and to judge. So yes, on one level, God does all the choosing by calling us, for God so loved the world. That's his call. God chooses all of us in that level and places in us the need for him. But God leaves it to us as to whether we will let God be the one or whether we will reject God at our most difficult and needful times. Now listen to this succinct explanation of this. Jesus has been rejected because God so willed it. Whoa. Isaiah just told us that, didn't he? Now, this sounds like extreme predestinarianism, doesn't it? But because God knows, because God knows, because God can't not know everything, past, present, and future, it's not extreme predestinarianism. John's main point, and therefore God's main point, is that human unbelief cannot escape the all-embracing purpose of God. God will even use our rejecting of him for his glory, and even to draw us to himself. How this is escapes us. There's a mystery in that. How does that work? We don't know. Theologians have talked about it for thousands of years, and they haven't gotten it. But that it is so, John does not hesitate to affirm, and then, therefore, neither should we. God knows our hearts. God knows our minds. God knows our need. God has come in person, in Jesus Christ, presented himself, and given us the opportunity to receive that which only he could give. God had been spending the the previous 2,000 years up to this point. This is very interesting. 
It had been 2,000 years since the call to Abraham to be a great nation and to become the Jewish people and to pour that promise into them. From Abraham to Jesus was 2,000 years, and from Jesus to us has been the same. And the Jews aren't getting it. They're not getting it. Their whole story is wrapped up in the invitation to be blessed by God, and they're not getting it. God sent his own son to us all 2,000 years ago. And too often, what happens? We reject it. And here's the bigger tragedy. We reject it so subtly we don't even know it. We reject it by choosing our own ways rather than God's way. The good news of the gospel, and that's what gospel means, is good news, is that God invites us to receive what he offers. And get this, God even gives the faith to believe what he is offering and to accept that offer such that we don't even have to do it. There is no D-I-Y in the gospel. There is no do-it-yourself. You can't even look it up on YouTube. The ultimate rejection, and we see this too much, is to see the gift, to hear about it, to experience it in the life of those who follow Jesus, to see it lived out in people whose lives have been shattered and put back together by the grace of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then to look at that and say, no, I'm good. I don't need that. That is the ultimate irony of this life. And don't think it doesn't happen to Christians. Don't think it doesn't happen to you and me. This is what was happening then, and it continues to take place today. Is it because the price of belief is too high? Is it? Does it mean having to give up too much personal control? Do we really think worrying is so much more joyful, talk about joyful, than letting God come into whatever that shattered, broken, confused, sinful, broken place is? Do we really think that's a better option? The Jews of that day are not unlike us. They were afraid of being excluded, in their case, from their religious and social and even financial circle, if they claimed Jesus as the Messiah. What are we afraid of? What are we personally afraid of in claiming at our hardest times Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who makes all things new. That could happen to someone in our society today. But I want to submit to you that all the things that we might be concerned about are nowhere near the real cost of trusting Jesus. The greater cost that keeps us too often rejecting the call of Jesus is the cost or price of our own autonomy. We want to be the captains of our own destiny. 
Oh, my friends, talk about tragedy. Talk about a lie that has been perpetrated upon us that not only can we be that, but that it is redeeming. It's not. You see, to truly obey Jesus, to truly obey Jesus, is to be completely at the will of the Father who calls us away from depending on what we think will keep us safe and comfortable and warm and into a life that reflects total reliance upon and obedience to God's ways. And that means knowing God's ways, personally, intimately. That is costly. You know why? Because there's no wiggle room in that. No wiggle room for us to slip out the back door when we find something that we think is a better way or when we think that what God is calling us to is just too hard, too expensive. Now, someone could say, well, if God is going to reject me anyway, what difference does it make if I reject him? But Jesus' whole point Jesus' whole point in this day before they arrest him to kill him is that God has not rejected us. God does not reject us. God puts it in our hearts to need God. But we choose our ways, as Jesus says in the third chapter of John, for we loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God. You know what glory means? The ability to see something. We love our ability to see rather than God's ability to see. And that's what he said. Isaiah says, I'm going to blind them. No, God doesn't put out our vision. God says, unless you're seeing through my eyes, you will not see anything. Today, this event that we've just read about is as real and live as the day it happened because Jesus is standing at the door of your life and my life making the invitation and sadly, sadly, pronouncing a tough diagnosis. Now that invitation is for us to choose him choosing us. Jesus has chosen all. But the tough diagnosis is that it is possible to reject God's invitation. It's possible. And here's the profound mystery of God's sovereignty. We don't know who will or who has been chosen, even ourselves, except that God's Holy Spirit breathes into us, you are mine, you belong to me. Stop rejecting, stop resisting. It's as Francis Thompson said in that wonderful poem, The Hound of Heaven, I will not relent from seeking you calling you, drawing you to myself. But as rightly stated by one writer, God is not excluded from the response people make to God's claims upon them as he acts in grace to enable and support the faith of those who believe. So he acts to confirm judicially the rejection of those who choose the path of unbelief. God will respect us. God's justice respects our rejection. That's pretty scary. 
We are all given the choice to accept or reject God choosing us. There is only one person we can know about for sure. You know who that person is? It's a person you look at in the mirror every day. Your own worst enemy or your own greatest ally. And it's up to us to choose which it will be. Only God and we know if we have said yes. Don't be afraid that maybe you haven't said yes. If you want to say yes, that is God's yes. That is bigger than our no, Karl Barth once said. And Jesus is so gracious, so graceful about this. Because he said, I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Dr. Dale Bruner is, a, a, a privilege to say, a, a good friend of mine and a, a great mentor, one of the, the fine Bible commentators, on, particularly on the Gospel of John. I'll be with him this week. and He puts it this way about this passage. Jesus, I thought you were judging people. All along, when you were interacting with your rejectors, I thought you were judging people, but instead, you were interacting, you were seeking those who reject you. Jesus, you were warning them. Your purpose is saving, not judging. But we could so miss this today in our world that says, don't judge people. Don't be a judger, dude. Don't judge. And then what do people do? Huh? Don't judge, but we're judging when we say, you're judging. Jesus is telling us he doesn't judge, but warns us that there is a judgment. Decisions have consequences. If you step out in front of a car and go, oh, I didn't really mean it. Doesn't work that way, does it? And Jesus makes it clear that when we reject his graceful warning, we are judging ourselves. Because in rejecting him, we reject the one who sent him, the one with whom he is one. So to reject Jesus is to reject the one to whom our lives belong. It is to reject God's offer to belong to him and to be with him forever in the face and in turn face the consequences of not being with God now and forever. God doesn't want this. Please know that. God does not want you separated from him. That's why he came in person. That's why he came in Jesus Christ. He came looking for his lost sheep. Do you know that's who you are? Do you know you're a lost sheep? I am. God's Holy Spirit has poured it into my heart to know that. It is why we are here today and every day, and why He is here every day, knocking on the heart of every heart and mind of every person, inviting them to belong to Himself. And God spared no expense in doing this, because the day after Jesus extended this warning. What did he do? He gave up his life 
as the greatest gift and triumph over judgment. Jesus said those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe in me are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We condemn ourselves. God does not condemn us. He calls us away from rejecting and into receiving, and receiving in the very practical matters of life, the things He's taught us to trust Him with, everything. Someone might say, well, good job, preacher, but you know what? It's too late for me. See, you don't know what my, my life consists of. You don't know what I've thought. You don't know what I've done. You know what? That's a lie. It's not too late. It's never too late to let God's grace be the defining factor of our lives. The, the lie is that Satan wants us to believe it's too late for you. It's too late for the mistakes you've made. God cannot redeem the things that you messed up. God cannot redeem and make new and whole, complete, the things that have happened to you or that you've caused to happen. Oh, yes, he can. Oh, yes, he can. Oh, yes, he can. But only by the shed blood on the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not too late, even for Israel, to receive Jesus as the Savior of the world. It wasn't too late that day. It's not too late today. It's not too late for the United States. It's not too late for even Congress. Whoa. Both sides of the aisle and everywhere in between. Talk about the radical nature of God's grace. Huh? It's never too late to trust that all of our wishes and dreams and schemes and actions and arrogance and ignorance need to be repented of, and can be repented of. It is not too late to say, all that I have done wrong in my actions and inaction, in my thoughts and attitudes, I lay down and submit to Jesus so that my hands and heart are open to receiving what I have been rejecting. Presbyterians aren't real good at this hand thing, you know, but we need to be. We just need to get them right out there in front of us. And, and, it's, and I want to encourage us to pray that way with open hands and open hearts, a posture that says, Father, take hold of this lost child. That takes a lot of faith and courage because it may involve some pretty significant change. That's what repentance is. But Jesus is even offering this as a gift if we are willing to receive it, to acknowledge we need to be changed. And it is as we receive it and receive what only he can give that we are changed into new people who are able to believe and trust and live obedient, spirit-filled lives that are free from all of our fears and our, all of our concerns about ourselves and free to invite others to the freedom that Jesus alone can offer because we could say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. What does it mean to obey? Augustine said it so well in the fourth century, not to decide is to decide. 
the parable of the two sons. One said, oh yes, I'll go, and didn't. The other one said, no way, but he went. To decide is to say yes and go. We could so easily say we have received Jesus. But again, it is ongoing. Not our salvation. Our salvation is once and for all. That happened on a Friday afternoon outside of Jerusalem. But our relationship goes on and on. It's developed with time. Bob and Grace can tell you that. It's 50 years. They've got 50 more years to go. And Bob is still learning about obedience. (laughs) You're doing a great job, Bob. I came across a saying this week that has an unknown source, but I think Jesus said it with his life. It says, being lost is living by a set of values that systematically dismantles your life. Being lost is living by a set of values that systematically dismantles your life. Whoa. Do you ever feel like your life is systematically dismantling? You ever feel like all the lug nuts are falling off the wheels, huh? If so, ask yourself if you are receiving or rejecting the life Jesus died to make possible. Am I receiving it? Or am I saying, no, I'm good, I'll do it myself? Have you ever seen your life or the life of someone you know well systematically coming together in ways that there's no other way to explain except that they have yielded their journey to the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ? You see, that's what's going on for all of us. Evil, sin, brokenness is systematically dismantling and taking our lives apart. But when Jesus Christ comes in to live in our lives and we stop rejecting His offer, things happen that we cannot explain any other way. And I want to submit to you two things as we conclude today. One is quite obvious. This is a profound grasp of the obvious, but you can tell them you heard it here. Our nation, let alone our world, are systematically dismantling because Jesus Christ is not being obeyed. Our world, our nation, is systematically dismantling because Jesus Christ is not being obeyed. Because values are not centered on Him, and His offer of redemption and new life is being rejected. Conversely, I want to submit to you that this can all change. I was talking with a friend this week, actually it was a couple weeks ago, who said, when I look back a few years at where I was in my life, I can't believe it is the same life as it is today. And I said, that is what Jesus does when he takes over a life. Everything becomes new. The life we thought was our life is gone. The new life is all that remains. And it does. And it can. And it will. 
And Jesus came to give us that life where everything is made new. Everything. Everything. New and eternal. Because everything old. You know what's happened? God's Holy Spirit has come in and taken all of our stuff to a garage sale. And you know who we sold that stuff to? Not too many people know about this. He sold it to the devil. Because that's where it belongs, in hell. So that we aren't there. Our old life is. Our new life is with God. It is truly extreme home makeover. I want to challenge us to live into this judgment. That our old lives and the old life of this world needs to be rejected completely so that we may become the new people who change this dismantling world for God's glory. Dave, you thought you retired. No, he's just got a whole new career for you. A lot of you have retired. You thought, oh, okay, I'm done. Uh Uh-uh. I'm going to retire. Guess what? God's got plans for me. I don't know what they are yet, but I'm not going to make him laugh by telling him what mine are. (laughs) It really can happen. See, that's the good news of the gospel. It happens again and again and again. You and I can be part of this because God has opened our eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. God has opened our eyes and our hearts. And too often, guess what? We miss this. Because it's right in front of us. Let me close with this. A a customs officer is observing a truck crossing the U.S.-Canada border. And he's suspicious. And he orders the driver to get out and he searches the vehicle. He pulls off the panels. He pulls off the bumpers. takes off the wheel cases, but cannot find a single scrap of contraband drugs, anything, anywhere. Whereupon, still suspicious, but at a loss as to where to search, he waves that truck right on through. The next week, same driver arrives. Again, the official searches and finds nothing illicit, and over the years, the official tries full body searches, x-rays, Sonar, anything you can think of, new technology comes out, he tries it. And each week, the same man drives up, but no mysterious cargo ever appears. And each time, reluctantly, the custom driver waves the truck right on through. Finally, after many years, the officer, the customs officer is ready to retire, and the driver pulls up. He says, look, I know you're a smuggler. You know you're a smuggler. Don't bother denying it. But dang, if I can figure out what you've been smuggling all these years. I'm retiring now. I swear to you, I can do you no harm. I am not turning you in. But please, you just got to tell me what you've been smuggling all these years. The guy winks at him and he says, trucks. (laughs) (laughs) So as we go, remember, remember. We go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. 
Because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us where we are for his glory. May we believe it and therefore go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.